when it comes to traveling, for me, the journey is seriously the best part. I love road trips. And if you're driving to San Antonio to see the Alamo, to Austin to go to a music festival, to Dallas or Fort Worth to see the Cowboys or visit the stockyards, odds are you'll be on Interstate 35. Interstate 35 is Main Street, Texas. But Main Street opened in the 1960s, which means parts of it are already more than 60 years old. My thing was much needed project to replace aging infrastructure from the 1960s. I am aging infrastructure from the 1960s, but even I didn't have as many problems as, as uh, Interstate 35 did. The solution to those problems so far has been about two decades of major road work up and down the I-35 corridor through four of the state's five largest cities. But not everyone thinks adding more lanes is the most efficient way to go. A boulevard with bus lanes, bike lanes, and some car lanes would actually move a lot more people. Highways are actually very poor movers of large numbers of people because cars are very space inefficient. They lock up in congestion. That's, the, that's a basic level bug that they have. But whatever your view on statewide transportation, there is no arguing that it feels like there is always some part of Interstate 35 in Texas under construction. I'm Bailey Friday, and this is Texas Wants to Know. Grab your favorite snacks and take your last bathroom break because we're going on a road trip down I-35. Interstate 35 is a major element of statewide and national transportation, and we partner with our state and our nation uh, to maximize capacity and reliability and safety and technology on Interstate 35. Interstate 35 runs north-south from the Texas-Mexico border all the way to Lake Superior in Minnesota. But we're, of course, focusing on the stretch that runs through Texas, from Laredo to the state's border with Oklahoma. Yeah, I'm not sure who came up with the idea that once you finish construction on a highway, it's done. That's Kenna Mitchell. She's a spokesperson for the Texas Department of Transportation. There's a certain life that comes with a highway. You get impacted by weather conditions, by traffic conditions, and then also within the pavement or bridges itself, there are different elements that come into play that have a life cycle of their own. According to TxDOT, about 40% of Texas' population, or more than 10 million people, live along the I-35 corridor. With that comes businesses, growth, commerce, so that puts a lot of extra tires on our roadways there. So with all this growth that's coming in, that gives us a chance to really look at what can our system be, because we know people are still going to be coming to Texas. We're expecting that trend to continue upwards. As vital as I-35 is to traffic in the state, there was a time, just over 20 years ago, when the state was looking for an alternative. For a long time, we thought about a north-south highway that would get the commercial traffic off of I-35. State Representative Ramon Romero is a Democrat who represents part of Fort Worth. I-35 West runs right through the middle of his district. You know, people think, well, I still want those trucks to go down through my city and, you know, give us those tax dollars and buy fuel in Fort Worth and in Dallas. So there's there's pros and cons on both sides. In 2001, the Texas Department of Transportation proposed the Trans-Texas Corridor. 
So if you never heard of that or if you forgot what it was, it was basically intended to route traffic, trains, and utility lines around the state's major population centers. One of the corridors would have paralleled I-35. Michael Morris, Director of Transportation for the North Central Texas Council of Governments, says it was not received well, and that is in part because it took a top-down approach. The need was still there. So what we all did is created a bottom-up approach to have the MPOs work in their communities and have the state uh, work in the inner city portion and the state advanced, you know, inner city components that you saw basically going from the Waco area all the way to Austin. You saw the commission advancing a whole bunch of money to help 35 in Austin. Parts of San Antonio are now getting attention. Uh, A lot of the improvements uh, in the inner city portion are now done. Then the state moved to fund uh, basically from the east-west split at the University of North Texas all the way to the Oklahoma border. If you live in North Texas, you're likely familiar with two of the spots on I-35 that have been a headache for drivers for years. The Southern Gateway Project, which is along I-35 East from Interstate 20 to downtown Dallas, and I-35 West, north of downtown Fort Worth into southern Denton County, which Morris will refer to as 3C. Southern Gateway is now opened. Travel times have been improved 20, 22 minutes from Interstate 20 to downtown. Very nice project, very little displacement. 3C just had its uh, ribbon cutting, so uh, they're celebrating the opening of 3C. So 3A was from downtown to 820. 3B was from 820 to the 183 split. And then 3C was the section you just described in North Tarrant County, Southern Denton County. My biggest issue on 35 right now is Stemmons Freeway. We were eventually going, we were 10 years ago, going to build the Trinity Parkway. We lost support for the Trinity Parkway. We're now back trying to find a solution on Stemmons between downtown and the old Cowboy Stadium. The Trinity Parkway was a proposed toll road that would have connected I-35 with I-45 in Dallas. The city council voted 14-1 to support it in 2007, but pooled its support about 10 years later. We got a whole bunch of traffic cutting through downtown at the southern end of the Dallas North Toll Road, where all that traffic should really be back on Stemmons. So they're coming down the Dallas North Toll Road. They're not going to Stemmons because Stemmons is such a bad choice. They look at their navigational system. It tells them to go cut through the thoroughfare streets by American Airlines in downtown and find your way over to Woodall Rogers. I go to great lengths to avoid driving in downtown Dallas. And if I do have to drive in downtown Dallas, I will schedule it so that it's at a time when nobody should be on the road. And I also love driving. I'm not a person who's afraid to drive. I really enjoy being behind the wheel. It's just these certain areas that I just can't stand. It creates safety problems. It creates wrong way driving problems. It creates a whole bunch of issues that the issue, you know, our job you know, we work at the neighborhood level, the regional level, and the international logistics. Our job is to make sure that the regional system is in place in order to put the regional traffic on the regional system and get the regional traffic off of the local system. And uh, we have a great track record in, in accomplishing that. Over on the west side of DFW, Romero says North Texas is too reliant on toll roads controlled by private entities. I think for a lot of those people that, that moved to Fort Worth in the 90s and so on, you can argue, as we say here in Texas, we were sold a bill of goods. You know, you got a cheaper house, the roadways were not there, the infrastructure on a city level was not there, and now they're being taxed every day if they don't want to, you know, spend a lot of time on the highway. So, look, did we do a good job? No. 
Could we have done better? Absolutely. Did we get new roads? Yes. Uh, but I'm very concerned that, you know, we're partnering with for-profit companies and their, their responsibility is not to you and I, the taxpayers and residents, their responsibility to the shareholders. Let's keep this trip moving south into Central Texas. I think there's just been tremendous growth uh, here in Waco. That's Lori Fogelman. She's the Assistant Vice President for Media and Public Relations at Baylor University. She's lived in Waco since 1987. Not only growth as far as the city itself, but I, I think just in not only just infrastructure and, and new facilities and a lot of excitement, but a, a community that has really come together and uh, is now embracing some of its most valuable assets. Vogelman pointed to renewed development along the Brazos River and to revitalize downtown. And of course, it is impossible to discount the impact Chip and Joanna Gaines have made on the city. As the city grew, it needed I-35 to keep up. There were some thoughts that it would be about a five-year project and maybe four years. Uh, so started in 2019, but because they built in all of these incentives, Weber worked 24 seven and uh, it was amazing to see the progress that they made that they actually were way ahead of schedule and they actually were able to open the, the main lanes in summer of 2022. When I was about to go to college, Baylor was one of the schools that I was majorly considering. I really liked it there. So for me, anytime I'm driving through Texas and I get to pass through Waco, it's a fun little landmark to point out, see those beautiful red buildings and say, hey, it's Baylor. But being so close to an interstate, a major interstate that's always under construction, definitely has its problems. How did Baylor handle such a major disruption right on its doorstep for four years? We had a, a campus-wide subcommittee as well, so we could focus on our Baylor constituency, so faculty, staff, students, alumni, visitors, anybody who would be impacted by the I-35 project. So that's people coming to football games. That's 40,000 people at least six times a year. And McLean Stadium, right there on I-35. Commencement, move-in days, prospective students visiting campus, the first day of classes, you know, where it could be a big disruption. But I think we were able to develop a very robust communications plan for campus. What were some of the major changes through Waco? So they widened lanes north and south, but they also improved the frontage roads and also the entrance and exit ramps. You know, now you have a, a longer entrance ramp and a longer exit ramp. So that that keeps a lot of things, well, it improves safety, number one. They also reconstructed the bridges through campus. They improved the interchanges, made safety for pedestrians and bicyclists a, a priority, and they added U-turns, those Texas turnarounds, which I absolutely love because it improves the, the traffic flow at lights and those interchanges. Vogelman says Baylor University President Dr. Linda Livingstone even worked I-35 into her commencement address this May. She looked at it from this point, uh, is that as those students pursue their goal, graduation in May, they may have had to take some detours, they may have changed their major, 
you know, they may have had some other interruptions, the Arctic freeze, the global pandemic, late nights, early mornings, their classes and their experiences at Baylor transformed them. After, you know, all those years of hard work and planning uh, with the support of their family and friends, they arrived at their destination and, and they had a lot to be proud of. And, uh, and she said, just like I-35, your degree can take you to all sorts of new destinations. The possibilities are limitless. So I, I, I loved how she, you know, was able to tie in that class that experienced so much, including uh, I-35 construction, but they arrived at their, their destination. The Waco Herald Tribune reported in mid-June that the final phase of construction on Interstate 35 in Waco could start as soon as 2024. We thought there would be this big break in between. And, uh, you know, I think we're all just like, rip the Band-Aid off and let's get it done. It's that one stretch from 17th and 18th Street to the Loop. I'll have to drive it again as I come north from my house to campus. But I think we all, we all know our alternate routes. We know what the construction does with that. What happens when you improve infrastructure through the city? And I think we are all just ready for that one last area to be done. The project that is in Waco right now, we're really close to getting to that final, final moment of it. You know, we had a little early celebration when we got to the point where we were able to open up all the lanes. And what's key there is that meant that we had three lanes in each direction between Dallas and Austin on I-35. That was the last little piece of the puzzle that we needed to connect there. Now that there are three lanes all the way to the state capitol, let's head down I-35 to Austin. And if you've ever driven to Austin, you know in this area, it can get a little tricky, little dicey. So uh, hold on to your butts, as they say in Jurassic Park. They actually have five projects underway right now on I-35 in Austin. So there is a lot of different activity. And, you know, if you've driven through that way, you'll certainly see work zone after work zone. But all those improvements are all going to come together like a puzzle towards the end. It's all going to make sense with all the improvements tying into each other. One of those five projects will go right through the heart of downtown, the Capital Express Central Project. The project that they're looking at, it's just over about $4 billion in an estimate, uh, but it's going to be doing a lot of things. It's going to be putting the highway below and putting some of the streets up above. It's going to be reconnecting some of those interchanges, making sure that it's able to handle the traffic demands there. Um, Austin is one of the fastest growing cities that we have, not just in Texas, but in the country. And, you know, when people come to Texas, they bring their vehicles with them. And so that leads to more demand on our roadways. However, not everyone in Austin is in favor of the work set to begin next year. Rethink 35 is a grassroots organization pushing for a reimagined interstate that would go around downtown. I live three blocks away from I-35. I can hear it in bed. Adam Greenfield is the board president of Rethink 35. He's lived in Austin for seven years. I have to cross it multiple times a day because the crossings are limited. It often leads to some circuitous. So I, I, I get around mainly by bicycle. I live very centrally. 
and it's a major barrier to to my east west travel and it also just feels like a wall you know it, people think of the berlin wall and how that divided you know east west germany i35 is is a little bit like that in some ways physically and psychologically in place of the interstate, Rethink 35 is proposing a boulevard that would have lanes for bicycles and buses, public transit options, and space for pedestrians. What we are about and what we talk about are things that people have been talking about for decades. Um, and we were the first community campaign to really mainstream these ideas. We actually started in the pandemic in 2020. And so it was a time where people were really thinking very differently about, you know, suddenly they were seeing the, the traffic drop down and they were seeing a world without as many cars. And what we talked about took root in, I think, very fertile soil. And it's been fertile ever since. In fact, it's becoming more fertile with every passing day. I think there's an assumption that, that perhaps people make that, sacrifice zones are necessary with transportation. And I would really challenge that. I think there are ways to move large numbers of people in contexts that aren't sacrifice zones. Sacrifice zones, and I had never heard of these. According to the National Institute of Health, these are hotspots of chemical pollution where residents live immediately adjacent to heavily polluted industries or military bases. One idea that we have seen work in almost every situation it's been applied that we would like to see considered among the options is, first of all, to have the interstate go around town and not through it. According to the Lincoln Institute on Land Policy, several cities around the country, including Orlando, San Francisco, even parts of Boston, have rerouted highways around their city centers. The Institute says most highway removal movements start from a grassroots base. So this is actually what I-35 does in at least 14 other Texas towns and cities, just in Texas. It goes around the city center and not through it. And that's what should have been done in Austin. We have already have existing highways like SH-130 that could be repurposed as the interstate. At that point, once we have an interstate going around town, then we wouldn't have an interstate going through town. And we could really think about how that space would best serve People, you know, who live in the area, work in the area, play in the area. Rethink 35's proposal does not sound dissimilar from the Trans-Texas Corridor we talked about earlier, which would have moved traffic away from major cities. The Guardian actually reported last year that the expansion of Houston's Katy Freeway did not ease congestion. Now we're going back to Michael Morris from the North Central Texas Council of Governments. The term is latent demand. You need to be very careful that you're not making a transportation improvement that simply encourages more suburban or rural sprawl. I'll give you a real world example. When we did Central Expressway 20 years ago between downtown and LBJ 25 years ago, Everyone was telling me we had to improve Greenville because Greenville had 30,000 cars a day on it. I said, no, we don't have to improve Greenville because Central Expressway is so poor. Everyone is on Greenville because the freeway is not reliable. No, you got to widen Greenville Avenue. I said, we're not going to widen Greenville Avenue. Give us a chance to get a Central Expressway done. Central Expressway opened up 
the volumes in Greenville Avenue dropped 20,000 cars a day because we knew from the model they were traveling on Greenville for better service that they weren't getting on Central Expressway. We all think we know the best back roads or shortcuts, right? Like I told you earlier, I love driving, so I'm always on these pretty back roads, especially in the fall, just enjoying being free and on the road. But I am not going to tell you which back roads I use. I'm going to gatekeep those for myself because I have already noticed how crowded they're becoming and they used to be totally empty. The point is, we all have them. We try to do a good job of having the regional traffic on the regional facility to let Greenville Avenue be the local facility to serve the land use on, on Greenville Avenue. It's not fair to those residents or those homeowners to have Greenville Avenue being used as the regional facility. We should be putting those cars on the regional facility. So one has to be very careful when you see the increase in volume on a freeway, how much of it was due to a latent demand due to suburban sprawl, and how much was it simply a path choice that you know the freeway was so horrible in meeting the regional need that people were traveling on the local thoroughfare streets that once you built the regional facility, the volumes actually drop. You have to have a system within the city where people can come into the city and then can, can, can move again. That last mile is always a problem. You can also think about your existing arterials within the city. Like, are those arterials, are the streetlights timed where someone doesn't have to go a mile to the east and then go north and then go a mile back west just because they took a short trip on that highway. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, the population of Texas eclipsed 30 million people last year. And from 2000 to 2022, the state added more than 9 million residents to grow by 43 percent. That makes it the fourth fastest growing state in the country. But Morris's job is focused on north central Texas. When regions hit about 8 million, there's a transition where you should be pretty well done with your freeway system on new alignments. And we're pretty well done with our freeway system on new alignments. But you are transitioning to, you're gonna to have to get more out of the transit system. You're gonna to have to get cities to provide more density, creating more walkable and bike items. We just won a major partnership with DART on $20 million for the Silver Line and Bike Ped uh, this week. So you're gonna be investing larger shares of your revenue in other modes, but we're gonna need the locals to help us on the density side in order to uh, provide more walkable items. Cars are fantastic for longer distance, unique trips from A to B, but they don't scale up well as a form of mass transportation and congestion is what we get. And once you have congestion, the only solution to congestion is to provide alternatives to driving. Because if you try and relieve the congestion, then that space simply fills up again. And it usually fills up with what we call marginal utility trips, trips that weren't important enough to take before. Hopefully, when we get to 2050, maybe mobility won't look the way it does. Maybe cars won't look the way they do. Maybe we'll have uh, vehicles that aren't necessarily traveling on the, on the ground. We, don't, we can't look into the future, uh, but we know those things are real. Uh, so we just, need to, we just need to make adjustments. I'm Bailey Friday at News Radio 1080 KRLD in Dallas, Fort Worth. Thanks for joining me for Texas Wants to Know. If you liked the show, please give us a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode was written and produced by Chris Blake with editorial support from Cooper Mall and original music by Michael Eisenstein. 
Odyssey's managing producer for national news podcasts is Myron Kaplan. 